special edition of The Cool Room. It is episode 104. It is noon in Melbourne, Australia on the 2nd of October. The uh, is about 14 hours until daylight savings kicks in here. We've already had some concerns in the Zoom room that if this session goes on too long, it'll really make our maths difficult to work out what time it is everywhere else around the world. And that's a pertinent question today because we're going to be joined in a few moments by Mast Landing live from the US for a very, very special lineup of beers to taste and conversations to be had about the backstories of the beer. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the spiel from me about checking out our Shopify and making sure you have all the beers you need for what we've got coming up. Uh, in in particular, a very special session live from Bavaria with our friends from Weinstefan. Uh, beers are available for that, for tasting our October packs. There's only 15 of them left in the store, which given that it's the 2nd of October uh, is fantastic. And thank you for the support, but make sure you grab them. There's 29 different beers in there that help you come along to our trivia quiz, come along to our Sunday afternoon blind tasting, come along to our sessions with Burnley, with Capital from Canberra and with Three Ravens. Uh, and we've also got a special tasting next Sunday afternoon with Schlenkera from, uh, from Germany. When I say with them, it's actually just us. But if you've got the packs, then we'll sit around on a Sunday afternoon uh, and enjoy those beers together. It's one of my favourite breweries anywhere in the world. I think it's the first brewery outside of Australia that I ever drank at. Um, Make sure that you grab the tasting pack for the Mast Landing episode. Uh, if you're joining us in the Zoom room, hopefully you've already got that. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, just pause for a minute and make sure you've got the right beers in front of you. Jump on our Shopify. You need to have the neon sales. You need to have Shake Up Your Bones and you need to have Gunner's Daughter ready to go. Uh, if you're doing it live, then please make sure you have the Gunner's Daughter Stout out and slowly coming up to room temperature, whatever temperature that might be, wherever you are in the world. And um, I'm going to kick over to my good friend, Travis Bristos. Travis, it's noon. There is sun streaming through the ceiling windows at your house. Nothing makes me feel happier on a Saturday than to see the sun coming through those windows, mate. Hello, David. Uh, you are correct. It is very much spring weather in Melbourne. Uh, so much so, I thought about taking the podcast equipment outside uh, and then decided against it. Seemed <laughs> that, like is, it. That, is, that is absolutely perfect, my friend. A bit too much effort to unhook everything and rehook it up outside. In, in the time it would have taken you to get out into the glorious sun that I can see outside your window and mine, um, it would have started to rain because it's Melbourne. Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty accurate. Um, we are about to welcome Gene from Mast Landing. Um, we are going to chat through three of the beers today. Uh, as David said, Neon Sales, Shake Up Your Bones, and Gunner's Daughter. Um, 
Jean, welcome to the call room all the way from the US. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. Yeah, well, we we know roughly what time it is over there. Uh, it's it's kind of lateish into the evening, so uh, it's amazing that you've uh, you've taken your your time of your night to to join us here. Um, for those listeners in the Zoom room, as well as those that are listening to the podcast afterwards, um, and are not only from Australia or from from other parts of the world, can you give us a bit of an insight and paint us a bit of a picture as to the brewery and tap room, um, I know a lot of people have looked at photos online earlier today of uh, how it's all set up, but um, how would you describe it? Yeah, absolutely. So we're located in Maine um, in the northeast part of the U.S., so definitely kind of one of the hubs of craft beer and brewing in the United States. Um, Mass Landing was founded about six and a half years ago at this point. Um, so we are, I guess, you know, fairly new, but definitely coming into our own. And the brewery started very small. Um, it's in a town called Westbrook, which is just outside of Portland in Maine. Um, for those who have traveled to the area, that might be familiar. And we initially were, you know, a small, small tap room focused brewery. So um, very focused on front of house and doing a lot of small batch beers that didn't really go that far outside of the brewery. Um, as time went on, we kind of, thanks to local support, had the opportunity to grow. And over the course of the brewery's first couple of years, we kind of expanded from just that very local feel to being a little bit more of a regional brewery where we were packaging beers and, and sending them out into the market and really kind of expanding the reach of the brewery. Um, always trying to maintain that very community-based feel. And that's been something that's been a through line for us ever since. Um, where we're at right now, we have two tasting rooms, both of them um, in the state of Maine, probably about half an hour or so between the two um, driving. And um, our distribution reach is across the East Coast of the United States, a little bit into the West Coast, and then into Europe. Um, into Australia, of course, and a little bit into Asia. So um, we, you know, for our size are definitely a pretty far reaching brewery, but we're still a small team and, and everything is very hands-on for us. So I think that's one of the things that makes um, it really special to work here and is also to, you know, um, kind of be a part of our community is that everything feels very intentional and very, um, very small and community focused. And, and that's what I love about the company. And that's, I feel like the thing that is something we're really known for. It's kind of cool that you guys are sort of, you know, that's that half hour trip between the two locations. Do you find that people uh, sort of switch between the two locations, given the proximity? Do you, do you get sort of the locals coming to, uh, to one, one weekend and then the other, the next weekend? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Absolutely. I think that because um, the part of um, the state and the part of the country that we are in is so um, adventurous and outgoing, there's people who are, you know, traveling all over our state and our region all the time on the weekends, people travel around to, um, you know, go camping or to go visit another city, that kind of thing. So 
um, we're lucky to be kind of at some very important through points in the state. So people will stop in and see us one weekend on their way to go somewhere and, and a different tasting room the next weekend. So um, we definitely have our locals who will go to one tasting room or the other, but it's, it's, it's really cool to be kind of, you know, in those in, in important areas for people, you know, passing through to stop in and, and uh, see each of our dis- different tasting rooms because, you know, while they're both very representative of Mass Landing, they are a little bit different because of, you know, the spaces that they're in or, you know, one of them's newer than the other in terms of how recently it was opened. So, you know, it's a different experience at each. And I, th- I think that's a cool thing. People like to go between the two and um, we have different beers available at each. We have different um, food offerings at each. So um, it's a familiar experience, but it's definitely something new for people to, to, to see for a month. And I, I think that's really a cool thing that people go back and forth between the two. How many, how many taps have you got at each tap room? So at our, um, at our Westbrook tasting room, which is the, the place where the um, breweries started, it was where we brewed first and first had our tasting room. Um, I believe we have 16 at the moment. Um, and then at our second tasting room, I, I believe we have 12. Um, and, and they're really kind of like focused on uh, diversity of offering. So we are pretty well known for our, um, you know, our IPAs and our Gunner's Daughter Stout. But at the same time, the reason that we try to keep a pretty big, you know, menu at both both breweries is because we make we make a wide variety of beers. We just this week released a Fest beer, a Scottish ale, um, a double dry hopped pale ale. So um, that's something that's really important to us is, is having a good variety on for everyone to enjoy. Can you, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the Fest beer? Just because mm. we're about to head into sort of our version of Oktoberfest over here with Weinstefan and then Burnley Brewing from Melbourne. Um, I presume it's your little bit of Oktoberfest, you know, the people get excited about that. And what does it mean for the, for the venues? Yeah, absolutely. So tomorrow, actually, um, in a mere 12 hours or so, we'll be having our first Oktoberfest celebration. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're here in the U S and not Germany, but we'll do our best. Um, and so this, this fest beer is kind of our, um, celebratory release. It's brewed in a traditional style. Um, we have, you know, a, a, a live music setup. We have some German food, uh, German inspired food for the day. Um, and, you know, going to try to kind of do Germany proud with our, our little Oktoberfest <laughs> celebration. And, um, it's, it's really cool. It's actually, this is the first year that, um, we've had two separate tasting rooms at this time of year. So, you know, our second tasting room opened about, um, five or six months ago, and we are able to kind of designate one of those venues as the, the Oktoberfest celebration for the day. And that's exciting for us to have a lot of like outdoor seating and have a whole celebration going. So that best beer is um, kind of a commemorative, commemorative release for that. And we're excited because, um, not only does it mark, you know, that event, but it also, um, is kind of a indication of where our brewery is going in terms of our, our production output and the way our brewers are thinking we're, we're brewing a lot of different styles now that we maybe didn't have the capacity or time for in the future or in the past, sorry. And, 
you know, a fest beer was maybe not in the cards in the past years, but now we're, we're really open to anything and, and, and we're really excited to be able to offer something like that. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, we're we're going to talk a bit more about the brewery as we, we go along and, and taste the beers today. Um, can we talk a little bit more about you for a moment though? How long have you been at Mass Landing for and, and what was your journey to, to get there? So I've been working with Mass Landing for a long time um, in a couple of different capacities. I've been in the beer industry um, for a while now, primarily in uh, marketing, public relations, communications. So back in the early days of Mass Landing, I was actually working at a different company, a distributor, and we signed Mass Landing on. Um, at the time, Mass Landing was not even packaging beer in cans. I think it was just kegs and a very limited amount. So um, kind of taking, you know, a forward-looking glance at them and saying, hey, this we think this brewery is going to really, really make, make a splash in the future, signed them on. Um, I got to know the folks who were the founders at Mass Landing, the, um, you know, the, the team that started the company up, um, got to be close friends with them. And as my career kind of progressed, um, an opportunity kind of arose for me to kind of transition from just being a, a friend and a collaborator to actually being part of the team, which was really exciting for me. So um, I've been in my current role for a couple of years now, but um, have been lucky enough to be involved with the company for a while. Um, my, my kind of responsibilities span across a lot of different fields. I guess um, primarily I'm focused on marketing, branding, public communications, that kind of thing. But um, one of the things that is really cool about the company is that we're um, incredibly small, incredibly humble, and there's a lot of kind of uh, cross-pollination between the different the different departments. So um, I get to work with our taproom team. I get to work with our production team, our sales team. Um, and it's, it's really kind of a, gr- a great time to be a part of the brewery because we've... Um, built this really cool foundation and um, there's a lot to learn still. And there's also a lot of opportunity. So um, that's kind of my story here with mass landing. And um, you know, it's, it's something I'm, I'm really excited about for the future, having seen the brewery from those early days of, you know, just uh, producing a small amount of beer and not even being able to meet demand in the, the local area to now being kind of um, multinational and, uh, you know, kind of um, building our reputation around the U.S. and around the world. I'd, I'd be fascinated to know whether your, you know, your sort of job opportunity came, you know, when you were wearing a suit and tie at an interview at 9.30 on a Monday morning or whether it was more sitting around on a Friday night with the guys as you became <laughs> better friends with them and they said, for God's sake, come over and bring your skills over here and give us a hand. So I think the hands were shook uh, late at night in Amsterdam. <laughs> oh, that's even better than I'd um, hoped for. That's fantastic. So, um, yeah, I had, um, uh, I guess, a little bit of my personal story. I had been working in the beer industry for a while. Um, had decided to maybe to kind of explore a different avenue. So I was working at an architecture company. 
um, doing public relations and communications, but you know, beer is my passion. I love this industry. I love the people. So to stay involved, I was, I was freelancing a bit with mass landing and, um, you know, my, my close friends, Parker and Ian, who are two of the, um, co-owners of the company had been pretty enthusiastic about getting me involved more and invited me to come to Amsterdam on a trip to, um, you know, do a collaboration with a brewery there and to do a beer festival. And we had talked about me joining the team permanently. And, um, you know, there was a, it, it all kind of clicked at that moment where we were, um, you know, really getting the chance to represent the company together in a totally new environment, but, um, you know, enjoying the experience of, uh, of being the mass landing team and, um, you know, pouring beers for people at a, at a beer festival in Amsterdam and doing a collaboration and events and stuff. It, it all seemed to really make sense. So I think, um, it was late at night, one of those nights that we, we kind of <laughs> sealed the deal, um, before, you know, eventually signing the papers and everything. And it was, uh, you know, I was, the I best was really, deals were done at that time of night. Let's oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was really honored to have the opportunity and I still am. So, um, you know, I, I feel very lucky to have this chance and, and feel really, you know, excited to represent Mass Landing on a daily basis. Unreal. We, we're going to move on and start talking about uh, Neon Sales, this IPA. And the reason I'm moving us along is because if we don't, I'm going to have this finished. Um, <laughs> and then it won't make any sense to talk about it anymore. Um, this is a cracking beer to start the day on, guys. I, I reckon... This is this is just unreal. Um, Gene, give us your tasting notes on it for a start. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is so. This is a, a single IPA. It's at six point three percent ABV, brewed with uh, citrus, Simcoe, and Azaka hops. Um, it's definitely got a bit of the um, kind of hazy IPA profile that has been. Um, you know, kind of growing over the past decade or so. What I love about this beer is that it's, it's extremely accessible. Um, on the aroma, I get a ton of, a ton of citrus, a ton of, um, you know, grapefruit, grapefruit zest, and it definitely bursts with those big, like hazy IPA aromas, but on the palate, extremely, extremely drinkable, um, very crisp. Uh, I love that it's got a little bit of a a bready note and it's um, it finishes a little bit dry. So I think that's a, a great thing for an IPA to keep you coming back for the next sip. Um, you know, candidly, this is one of my favorite beers that we make. It's, it's a beer we've made for a few years now and we make year round and um, you know, it's, it's one of the beers that we get the best feedback on because there's people who are familiar with kind of the hazy IPA category and uh they try this beer and are often very surprised at how drinkable and accessible it is, you know, just like a kind of an everyday beer. And that's what I love about it. It is without sort of being too silly. Um, you know, it's our first beer of the day over here in the, uh, um, it's a great beer for that. Cause it's, it, you've got that grapefruit, a little bit of sort of, you know, blood orange and lots mm. of sort of breakfasty flavors and, Often in Australia, the Simcoe can be very coconutty. It's a it's a divisive hop over here, to be honest. But I don't get as much of the coconut 
uh, flavors in this one as we have mm-hmm. in some other beers that we've had with it, with that hop. Sure. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I love about this is the, uh, as the way the Azaka hop kind of um, factors in, we don't use that hop in a ton of our beers, but it's, it's a, a nice balancing hop because of it's kind of um, grassy and almost a little bit spicy in a kind of floral sense. Um, and I think that there's definitely a lot of tropical and citrusy notes in the other hops that um, could overpower without, you know, this kind of really nice balance. And it's a really good representation to kind of zoom out on what we try to do with all of our beers at Mass Landing is um, to make them extremely accessible, even if they're kind of honed in on a certain, you know, flavor profile. So this beer is you know, heavy on the citrus and tropical notes. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not, it's not overpowering. It's a, it's a beer that you can drink a full 16 ounce can of and, and still, you know, feel like you could go back for another one. And that's kind of our goal here. We quite often ask the question about, uh, about hazies with our Australian breweries we have on, we don't often get to ask that question uh, for international breweries, how's how's the hazy train going over there for you guys? That's a, that's a great question. <laughs> um, and, and now it's just put Ozzy Osbourne's crazy train in my head for the rest of the afternoon as well. Thanks, Trev. That's great. That's right. <laughs> We're definitely still going off the rails on the hazy train here. Um, you know, <laughs> it's it's honestly it 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 is it's definitely a, a part of the culture in in the U.S. There's very few breweries that you'll go to that don't have at least one IPA in this style. Um, if not a few, um, you know, some are, are really, really hyper-focused on that. I think that, um, one of the things that I really love about the way that the kind of craft beer industry is going in the U S is that, um, people are developing a lot of nuance in these beers and we're not just seeing, kind of the same recipe or the same concept reiterated over and over. I'm seeing a lot of really, really cool takes on this style, whether it's, um, you know, using new experimental hops or, um, you know, trying to bring in different flavors, um, you know, bringing in different yeast strains, that kind of thing. And at the same time, um, I think that it's getting refined to the point where, um, you know, people are, I, I think, dialing in their offerings a bit to, to really focus on what they think is doing best and, and not kind of overloading it um, in the past year. Or so I, th- I think I feel like I see fewer breweries that have maybe, you know, 10 hazy IPAs on and maybe they just have one or two that they feel really confident about or that kind of thing. Um, and that's cool. I think it's like, I think we're, getting better at it, getting smarter about it and kind of um, rather than just focusing solely on that kind of thing, kind of making it just a part of a part of the catalog, another kind of arrow in the quiver of, of what we do over here. Do you, do you, and I, we're going to keep on the hazy train for a, for a moment longer. Um, over here in Australia, when hazy's first started to sort of really take off, everyone had this discussion about when the bubble would burst and it would just sort of filter out and no one would care about hazies anymore. Um, now, somewhat a few years later, that still hasn't happened. Uh, over there <laughs> in the US, is it kind of the same? Did, 
did everyone just go, this hazy thing's going to be a fad and it's going to just, you know, dwindle out along the line. Um, is it here to stay? Uh, it's, it's definitely here to stay, I think. Um, <laughs> but that's not to say that people expected the bubble to burst. There, there was definitely, there was a point in time where um, I think people were wondering what else you could really do with it. Um, you know, a lot of people were um, trying to get in on it for the purpose of it being a very, you know, profitable avenue to go down, which, you know, I totally understand. And, and also I think that people are doing some creative stuff, but um, now I guess I wouldn't say that the bubble has burst, but I think that people have looked to other things as a, uh, you know, the thing that's hot right now, the thing that's hyped up. Um, so, so what has got the hype? What's, what's, what's the hype over there at the moment? Uh, hard seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, that's a, it's a bit like, it's a bit like, you know, comments you can make in a forum. It's like once you've said hard seltzer in the, in the podcast. <laughs> I, I wish I were kidding. Um, no, 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 we believe but, you, don't worry. But, <laughs> uh, but I mean, yeah, it feels like honestly, hazy IPAs have found their, um, their kind of spot in the permanent rotation of, of pretty much every brewery. And, and that's, it's not like the bubble burst. It's more like the bubble kind of dissipated into being kind of the, the status quo, which is, I, I think it's great. I, I love this style of beer. I think it's a really, really cool way um, for people to, you know, um, get into craft beer through some kind of um, more unique flavor profiles. Um, but, but now, yeah, I, I mean, I say hard seltzer as kind of an indication of, um, you know, the fact that people are jumping on newer things as a as a way to get some attention now which you know for better or worse i i personally enjoy hard seltzer and i think it's a really cool uh kind of experiment for a lot of a lot of breweries um so it's definitely things like that that are a little bit more um you know of the moment than than hazy ipa and Gene, just just so for everyone who listens in around the world if they want to write you a letter about hard seltzer this is not uh, Travis or I that are saying those positive things about the hard seltzer. Uh, they can just contact you via the brewery, I'm sure, and um, or even just drive down in their pickup truck and come and give their opinions directly to you. For the record, Mass Landing does not make hard seltzer; has no plans to. That's a that's a personal <laughs> opinion. Um, you know, I, I I say that because I'm I'm open to giving anything a try. I'm I'm um, always interested in you know seeing what the latest experiment is so it's it's you know um i know it's not for everyone and uh i i totally understand that but um yeah it's it's there's um the experimentation over here is kind of um you know i would say taking some new uh some new initiative and and you know stuff like that is kind of on the on the docket i guess can i ask really genuinely um are there some good ones? And I presume we're not going to be able to get them in Australia, but what do you think makes a good hard seltzer? Because I think I think there's people, there are breweries over here that are jumping on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm yet to have one that is a, uh, as an older bloke, I really want to have too many of, whereas I'll have gin and tonics or I'll have sort of, you know, sure, all sure. sorts of other drinks. So what, what do you think makes a good hard seltzer? And, um, you know, Australian brewers, listen up and let's see if we can we can get them happening. 
So the ones that I've enjoyed, and, and to be fair, there are plenty that I have not enjoyed at all. <laughs> um, but the ones that I've enjoyed the most um, are the ones that use, you know, real fruit um, are, are very kind of like evocative in um, the flavor profile, whether it's like um, trying to channel fresh fruit or something botanical, like, you know, um, basil, cardamom, lavender, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I think that the ones that are using whatever fruit extract or that kind of natural or natural flavoring are maybe not for me, but, um, you know, it's, it's a totally different drinking experience. So something with like a bit of balance, but exactly like you said, like a gin and tonic, something that can really kind of have that nice effervescent quality and, you know, still have a bit of flavor, um, and, and be kind of like a nice balance is, is something that attracts me. Um, I would say that the, the, the ones that I've really enjoyed are from a lot of the either smaller breweries that are experimenting with it or a couple of different companies that are, um, you know, solely focusing on that. I can't say that I'm, you know, going to the store and buying 12 packs of it to take home, um, on too frequent a basis. I, I enjoy it on ex experimental level and, um, you know, I think it's, it's cool. It's like the same ethos that brought around something like a uh, hazy IPA or even, you know, a lot of the American craft beer styles in the first place. It was people looking at, uh, you know, a, a flavor profile or an idea and saying, how can we make this a little more intentional? How can we make this a little more um, artisan and, and something that we really want to drink on a daily basis, that kind of thing. We're totally about that. I've got to say, I think that's, you know, yes. Um, how are you going on your beer, Travis? Because I'm not oh. far off being ready to move on to the uh, shake up your bones. I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, Everyone in the Zoom rooms holding up their cans. That's a fantastic sign. Um, given the amount of beers that I drank last night, I'm actually surprised it's going down as well as it is. Um, huh. I, think, I don't know about uh, where Maine are at in relation to COVID stuff, Gene, but Melbourne at the moment is still in a lockdown. So... My beer intake on a daily basis has just gone through the roof. It's just, there's <laughs> not much else to do at the moment apart from drink really good beers. Sure, sure. Yeah, we're in, we're in an interesting spot. Um, the US as a whole is a little bit more opened up than we have been in the past. But at the same time, um, you know, there are some areas that are a little bit more at risk and it's it's still very on the forefront um maine is one of the higher um vaccination and and in safer areas so you know generally people are going out to restaurants bars grocery store etc still a lot of masking but um you know with the right precautions we feel pretty safe being out and about so um you know it's it's been it's been really, really, um, it's really awesome to see people back in the tasting rooms. You know, there was, uh, probably six to nine month period where we were not even open for people to come in and have a beer. It was all, all to go, all delivery, that kind of thing. So we had a truck, we were driving around, dropping cans off on people's porches, um, that kind of thing. So did you, you make know, more friends at that time than you have at any other point in your life? Because I've got to say, <laughs> I'm still doing roughly that. And um, people give me, 
I won't say virtual hugs, but hugs from inside the window, sort of you can, but as I drop mm-hmm. things. You know. I got to say that is um, that time when, when things were really pretty shut down was really inspiring for us to see that exact thing you're talking about. The, the kind of support from afar that came from our community, you know, people, just, um, you know, when we would drop off beer to their house or when we would, um, you know, uh, send beer to a store near them, like the support from people who had really been Mass Landing fans for a long time was so comforting and, and totally, totally like kept us going. Um, we have an amazing, amazing local community that has supported us from day one. And even as we've grown has been just, just right by our side. And so that was exactly the thing that we were feeling like we were driving around the truck, dropping off cases at people's doorsteps. And, and honestly, like it was the people who were drinking our beer that was giving us the energy to keep doing it. I think that's a pretty common thing, even here in Australia, the amount of breweries and, and bars that were doing, doing drop-offs to people's houses. And, you know, it was, a, it's, it's amazing how, how breweries and bars adapted to that whole COVID scenario to change their, their whole their whole system um it's a it's quite a cool thing to see uh a, an environment where people can adapt and 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 change the way they do things we are gonna move on to shake up your bones which i reckon is one of the best names for a beer i've ever come across um and we're going to talk about can design in a bit. And there's been a few questions in the Zoom room about can design. And we trust me, guys, we we're will get there. <laughs> we will get to that. Um, but this is just brilliant. I mean, we've all got it in the Zoom room, so it's kind of pointless me holding it up. But um, yeah, I reckon this is one of the best can designs. Well, I've well seen for those in a long listening time. in the podcast, Trev, why don't you give no, your little description of it? Um, David, why don't you start taking us off? Taking oh, us off? Nice no, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. Um, that's, that's a nice little handball back to me. Um, that's all good. I'm, I'm happy to lead the way on this one. Um, I guess, first of all, Jim, we were talking a little bit sort of uh, before we kicked into the podcast recorded session about which beers are in the core range and which beers are more seasonal and which beers are one-off. So... In terms of, uh, I had a little taste of the Saka wrapper before we got underway today, uh, and we've just had the uh, neon sales. The shake up your bones. Where does that fit into the lineup, and um, how do you guys make your decisions about which become what? Great question. Um, so, shake up your bones is a um, more of a rotating type release for us, whereas Neon Sales, Sakurapa, those are year-round beers. So we have um, probably about four or five hoppy beers that we make year-round. So Neon Sales, Sakurapa, a few others. Um, Gunner's Daughter, which we'll drink later, is our flagship beer. That's a milk stout. We make that year-round. And then beers like Shake Up Your Bones are kind of, um, you know, in a rotation with you know, four or five other brands that we bring around probably every couple of months. Um, the reason we do that is, you know, um, obviously these are beers that we really enjoy producing. They're also beers that, um, you know, have a good amount of support in the market. Um, and, and it's kind of, um, designed to make it a little bit more special when we 
put them out. So, you know, every, you know, four, three releases a year for a beer like this, you know, it ensures that people get a really fresh batch of it every time and, and can kind of get excited about it. And, um, I, I think that's really fun for us. Um, we also do kind of the common thing here in the U S where we'll have like kind of one-off beers that we make once and then they're gone and they're a, you know, single time release, but shake up your bones and, and similar beers are recipes that we really, really love and that we have workshop to a point that we feel like they're, you know, something that we really can hang our hat on. So um, returning to them is really a good chance for us to, you know, kind of remind people what we're all about in this kind of style. And so look, that's probably a really good lead into, you know, how does this beer do exactly what you're saying? How, how does this beer represent the style? Why does this one keep coming back? You know, if yeah. we're talking about, you know, IPAs and double IPAs, there are yeah. oodles of them out there. Why is this one a mass landing one? Of course. Yeah, that's that's uh, something we ask ourselves all the time, what we can really, um, you know, be proud of about this. And I, I think that of, you know, of all of our double IPAs, this is probably one of my favorites. Um, I love that this is such an expressive beer. Um, the tropical notes in this are really, really um, kind of stand out to me, not only on the, on the nose, but also on the palate. At the same time, I find this to be a super drinkable beer and, and it's, um, you know, it's got that, that little touch of sweetness. It, um, you know, has the very full mouth feel, but at the same time, it's not too saturated. And I think that's a really great indication of what we shoot for in a, in a, in a, you know, Imperial double IPA kind of thing where, um, you know, you're, you're getting the flavor, the, you know, fairly elevated flavor that you'd expect. Um, but not to the point where, you know, it's overwhelming. Um, you know, we use Nelson hops in this beer and I think Nelson has a really, really cool flavor profile that gives just this little touch of like white grape, um, almost like white wine type yeah, that absolutely. really doubt. Absolutely. And it balances out something like Citra that is, um, you know, a little juicier and, um, I think, I think we've really dialed in the balance of hops on this beer and that's something that makes this exceptional. So, um, part of it is, you know, our perception of this being a great recipe, but at the same time, there's definitely an element of, you know, public input where we put a beer like this out the first time, the second time, and, and people really respond to it. And, and shake up your bones was one of those beers that the first time we put it out, people were like, I, I need that again. Like I, I, I loved how that beer came out and we agreed. So um, it's, it's worked its way into its rotation that way. How much of that feedback comes from, you know, just online and I guess things that are like untapped and so forth. And how much comes out of the tap rooms? Um, it's a question we love to ask breweries that have tap rooms. How important yeah. is the feedback loop that you get out of that immediate sort of bit where the brewers can sit in the corner and pretend they're not really there <laughs> just watch people respond to a beer when it's tapped and yeah um uh, definitely a good amount in the tap room um we like i said earlier we're lucky enough to have a really really present and supportive community and what that gives us is people who know our beer very very well so we trust the people who come into our tasting room um when they taste a new beer and say like hey this is really exceptional 
we know that they, like they know what they're talking about. They've, they've had a lot of our beers in the past. That's, that's one of the great things about having a great local community. Um, so that's, that's definitely one element of it. We take that into account. We also try to be, um, you know, as, uh, kind of boots on the ground as we can be out in our distribution markets. So we have, um, you know, a pretty, pretty broad reach in Maine and Massachusetts and a lot of the Northeast U.S. Um, as much as we can, we try to be at bars and restaurants and, um, you know, package stores where people are selling our beer, sharing it with people and, and getting feedback there. I think that's another really, really good source of input. So, you know, when a keg of our beer goes to a bar and really flies off the, off the tap and people love it, getting that feedback is, is essential to us because, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great source of input and we can, you know, take that back to production and let people know and, um, kind of factor that in along with, you know, our personal perceptions of the beer and, and our local community too. Are there any particular changes, not necessarily to this beer during its iterations, but to other beers that you can sort of really say, oh yeah, I can remember the time that someone said this to us or, mm-hmm. or perhaps even a style that you hadn't done before. Sometimes we hear from breweries, everyone was asking for an ESB or they were asking yeah. for a, a, a vanilla stout, I guess we're sort of jumping ahead a little bit there. but. Uh. Well, I wish, I wish people would ask for an ESB more often. <laughs> um, uh, I, I can think of one example of a beer that um, has really kind of had a progression and that's um, it's another one of our year round IPAs called dash. And um, the hot profile has changed a bit to try to um, elevate certain qualities about it. It is a beer that is similar um to the beer we're drinking right now in its flavor profile. It's very tropical, um, has a lot of citrus notes. It is a little lower in ABV. It's a single IPA and a little bit lighter on the palate. Um, the mouth feels a little lighter, but you know, we've, we've gone through a couple of iterations to try and really, um, capture exactly the thing that we're looking for in that flavor profile. And a lot of that has come from feedback from, you know, our, our production team, our distributors, there's a, there's a big group of people who have definitely given input on that. And, um, it's kind of cool to see, you know, I think right now that beer is tasting as good as, as it ever has. Um, it's a beer we've been making for many years, but has gone through a couple of recipe iterations. And that's a, a really good indication of how we kind of integrate that feedback. Um, and then what you're alluding to with the vanilla and the gunner's daughters <laughs> is also awesome. I mean, like uh, as the person who <laughs> runs our social media accounts, I, I have to say like, we get plenty of, um, you know, will you ever put this in this? And uh, you know, I would love to see uh, this version of gunner's daughter or that version. And like, um, you know, sometimes you listen to the masses and you, uh, you kind of take some input from there. And, and that's definitely another way that we, um, kind of source feedback, not to say that, you know, we're solely but focused you, on again, that. Again, you're not asking for 5,000 people to, to message you this afternoon. <laughs> no, but I mean, if 5,000 people want something, then, hey, we're always game to, to try and see if maybe we can do it for them. Like, um, you know, we, we love to get feedback on our beer and we love to hear what people really find resonating with them. So um, we're always open to that kind of thing for sure. 
Uh, I'm going to I'm going to roll the dice here, which is always a dangerous thing to do in a live podcast such as we are, to see if my good mate David Thadani from Phoenix Beers in Australia is online with us. I know he's got some family duties, so he's ducking in and out. There he is. Uh, Dave, mate, you've been fantastic in making sure that we've got the beers uh, here to distribute, uh, even to the point of driving the last slab. Uh, did you go over the Nullarbor on the, in the middle of the week to get the last slab to me on Thursday? Yeah, sorry, just take my mute there. Um, yeah, it certainly feels like that. The beer certainly uh, travelled around before it made its way back to where it was supposed to be and was a little later than intended. But, you know, the show must go on. So if it involves driving around all day, then, then so be it, right? So I was going to ask, just sort of picking up from what Gene was saying there about, you know, the, the way that the beers have changed and feedback from distributors, what excites you uh, about being able to, you know, push this beer and, you know, thank you, you know, genuinely uh, for the opportunity to have this beer and Gene on the podcast. It's very rare you get six beers from a brewery like this uh, in Australia alongside each other. I think it's just great that we have the opportunity to kind of get some new breweries, new styles of beers, different regions even. I mean, instead of just going to the typical I guess, East Coast, West Coast or, or wherever. It's just kind of being able to get a broad spectrum of new breweries, new customers um, and giving customers in Australia the opportunity to try some of these things that you wouldn't be able to get unless you were specifically in the US, maybe near the tap room or in a really big bottle shop or something like that. So for us having that chance to, I guess, get feedback from customers, um, from bottle shops, just finding out what people are liking and then going and, trying to source these things. Uh, and instead of just getting, you know, one or two, you want to get a, a few, right? So having six at once just kind of gives you an opportunity to really get that brand or company out there so then customers can actually feel for what it's like. So, And have you had these beers before yourself or is this sort of your first taste of them? Um, yeah, myself. I've got, well, one of the other reps actually bought a slab of the uh, Shake Up your bones for himself um he's given me some of that because he was just all over it so uh, a few of us there's three of us in victor work for the company and we're going to split up a few different beers for ourselves so i hadn't actually had a chance to do any much research before we brought them into australia or try them um but it's really exciting and so far the feedback has been nothing but but positive so it's certainly my first time but it's it's been great so far now, now, I like nothing more than to put beer reps on the spot. Uh, oh, yeah. So you foolishly agreed to, you know, come online now, and this is where we're going to launch into. Um, we're going to talk a bit more about the graphic design on the cans and so forth, but it's very fair to say that the Shake Up Your Bones can is a very distinctive design. David, before we ask Gene, the head of marketing from Mast Landing, about the design and the history and so forth behind that, uh, what's... What's your interpretation of the can design and what can you tell us about it? Um, my interpretation of the design, I, I think there's a couple of people having a great party. Um, I, mean, I don't necessarily know how they managed to get to that state. Um, I'm a little <laughs> bit concerned at the same time, but I, I'd like to see the the history behind it, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it's um, there's a kid song that I actually listen to a lot by a little kids group called Casper, Casper something. Um, I've got two young kids and they have this song called um, Shake Your Little Bones Up. 
and that kind of when I was soaring this, it made me want to play that song as well. Um, so I am certainly on the spot, and I'm I'm not really sure what what else to give you. It's, um, it's certainly. <laughs> I'm different. sorry, mate. That was that was me putting you on the spot quite deliberately <laughs> and quite unfairly. It's it's um, unique, is what I would say. It reminds me of one of those kind of you know on the stage, those people with those like black neon kind of theatre thing with those neon lights when they're dancing around and doing crazy things. Mm. Got a bit of the early Daft Punk about it, but that might be just, you know, Mm. the second can of beer talking. (laughs) (laughs) Strong strong chance. Trev, do you want to have a chat to Jean about, you know, can design and some of those sort of things? And are we we supposed to be looking at this can with 3D glasses or taking it to the drive-in? What's going on there? That's kind of where my brain went as soon as I, I got the can yesterday. And, and uh, I mean, this is kind of totally irrelevant, but yesterday when I went and picked up the beers from David, uh, my 14-year-old my son uh, took these beers to the car. And when we got in the car, he looked at the can and he went, I kind of feel like I need 3D glasses for this one. Uh, um, out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> yes. Um, Gene, give us a... Uh, a rundown. Let's let's start with this one. I mean, all of your can designs are quite amazing, but this is just the standout for the the six beers that we've got. How did this all come about? Thank you. I appreciate the the positive feedback on it. Um, I, I take uh, little to no credit for our design um, on the actual labels. Um, I can give insight to it though. So. Um, you know, our, our, our VP of marketing, um, my good friend Parker, is the kind of mastermind behind our labels. And then we have a very talented artist on staff. Her name is Melissa, and she actually illustrated this label, Shake Up Your Bones. Um, you know, the name itself is a lyric from a song by, I think, Dave Matthews. Um, and, you know, one of the really cool things about having someone who's an illustrator on staff is uh, just, you know, taking an idea and running with it. And, and um, Melissa did an incredible job of just, you know, bringing something so evocative and so like uh, um, kind of mind blowing to life with her illustration. So uh, it, I, I wish I had a very specific uh, description for what, what we're looking at, but I, I honestly really love the, the kind of way it's open to interpretation. Um, just like these two skeletons dancing and kind of going outside of their, their bodies is, is very cool. And I think it's like a good representation of the, the name of the beer and, um, just a, a very unique and very masked landing thing to me. Um, we definitely do a lot of illustration on our labels and a lot of, um, you know, very lively kind of, um, kind of stuff. So I think it's a, it's a really kind of great representation of what we shoot for with our, with our branding and with our kind of like, you know, beer labels as a whole. The la- the labels of the six beers we've got, when you put them all side by side, you can see very distinctive elements that are very similar on each of the cans. Um, you know, for a lot of them, it's the, the Mars Landing Brewing Co at the top and the name at the bottom and then the graphic in the middle. Um, is there any sort of, but any, uh, do the, do the brewers and the graphic designers cross exist? Do they talk about 
how it's all going to come about? Or do you just come up with the graphics and then the brewers just go, yeah, that, that looks great. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. I think it's something that, um, there's no hard and fast answer to it as a whole, because we're such a small company, like there's so much intercommunication, you know, there's never a beer that, um, our production team doesn't know the name of, or hasn't seen the label for, but, um, you know, there are times where us on the marketing side kind of have an idea and kind of, you know, we, we kind of take the lead and, and we choose the name, choose the label style. And then, you know, that's what happens at the same time, our brewers and our production team definitely have guided some of our, you know, naming processes and, and, and helped us come up with labels. I think especially one of the cool things that we do is, um, collaboration beers where we're working with brewers from different companies um and and the you know the brewers and the production team members are really kind of sharing ideas and and that's a lot of um a lot of really good kind of you know um mental real estate for us to to create beer names and beer styles and um different label ideas and so you know we've come up with some really cool inspiration points and, and, and different like beer names and stuff from that circumstance, which is, you know, very integrated with marketing and, and, and production. So I would say it's, it's a little bit of both, um, you know, as a whole, a lot of, um, a lot of our labels and, and names and designs are, are definitely driven by marketing, but at the same time, we, we take a lot of input. So I think it's, it's one of the, one of the really great things is that, um, we're able to kind of integrate input from all across the company um, and then, and then kind of like hone it and refine it and make sure that it, you know, fits within the the brand and, and, and makes sense for mass landing fans, you know, and people who are familiar with our brand. That's yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, we are, we're almost at a point now where we're going to take a, a short break and get up and stretch our legs and do all that sort of stuff. But before we do, we have a traditional question that we ask in the call room. Normally, uh, Warren Wu, our third host, would be here to ask that question, but he's not here at the moment. So I feel like this is a really good opportunity uh, to pass back to David to ask the question that he probably hasn't asked in the call room for some time now. Um, and hopefully he remembers how to do it. So, David, do you want to ask our traditional question? I would love to ask our traditional question, Travis, and um, I've got to say as well, just because we ticked over episode 100 four or five days ago in terms of recording and uh, had our good friend Damien, who was one of the co-hosts, uh, right back at the very beginning on to celebrate our three-year anniversary. This was always one of those questions we would ask people alongside what was the first time you remember having a beer? What was the uh, the first craft beer you remember having? And so you might want to tuck those ones in the memory bank. We didn't give you a fair warning on those. Perhaps after our little break, you can come back and tell us about that. But we love to hear about people's cool room experiences. But we know that in the US, the cool room doesn't necessarily translate as it does over here in Australia. The cool room is the, uh, the, the big fridge at the back in a pub, often in a brewery where you know, hospital staff can can sneak off out the back and um, 
well, we'll find out in a minute what they get up to or what things weren't cleaned as they should have been. Um, well, I'm interested to see what Vine Stefana come up with this year round as their thing, because their most alarming thing they'd ever seen in a cool room was lines that hadn't been cleaned for three days, uh, which was a very German response, I thought, to uh, what <laughs> could go on in a cool room. Um, whether it's a brewery, whether it's a cool room, whether it's, you know, working in an architect firm, um, what are some of those alarming behind the scenes things that uh, you can talk about in an anonymized way? Uh, this is this is probably the question that I had the most uh, prepared answer for because I was uh, reading over the questions and trying to think through. Uh, I, people I think do, people actually... don't realize out there that we actually send the questions around beforehand. <laughs> we just like to pretend it's a complete shambles. But oh, I was I was I was just totally going off the cuff on most of these. But <laughs> um, well, the reason I say that is because I think I'm actually the subject of the of the most alarming moment. So, um, uh, so I, I, um, I, I like to go running. I, I am big on work, like working out, um, you know, exercising. So, uh, the first brewery I worked at, um, my schedule kind of allowed me to go for a run, um, you know, around lunchtime and we had a big, big kind of, um, heat wave, I think this was around 2017 in the summer and one particular day I went for a run on my, on my lunch break and was just, um, you know, kind of got back was, uh, not quite ready to shower and get back to work was kind of going through it and, you know, had my shirt off and was, uh, suffering a little bit. And so I, I went into the cold room obviously to kind of cool off and our, um, our poor, um, tap room manager came in and actually like backed into the cool room with a whole, um, a whole, uh, dolly of, of kegs, I think, and didn't see me in there because I was just kind of sitting there on like a, on a can flat or something, just sweating my brains out and suffering. And so they turned around and were just scared out of their mind by suddenly just a random shirtless person sitting there in the cool room, trying to, trying to chill out. So I think, uh, uh, that that's probably my my best example. Of... We might call this episode the random shirtless person, I think, because <laughs> and then put that on that a t-shirt me. because just the juxtaposition of that is even better. Then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, from from that day on, that was always my secret. Uh, my secret move was, you know, when I would go for my run at lunchtime and um, come back and feel a little overheated, I would just like kind of hide in a corner of the cool room and just cool off and then, you know, sneak back to my desk and finish the day's work. Um, I, I think that's a, we're going to take a quick break. Um, is that the first time we've ever had a story on that actually consisted of someone cooling down in a cool room? Oh, you said, uh, it's a very fair question. Back in the bowls club days, we used to have all of the oldies who used to get off the bowls green in 38 degrees heat and put out chairs in the Flemken bowls club cool rooms. But, It'd be close to, but there's a hundred episodes now, Travis. I don't remember them all as well as I yeah. could. <laughs> yeah, you and me both, David. Um, we are <laughs> going to take a quick break and uh, then we are going to come back and we are going to talk about Gunner's daughter.
we are back in the call room with Gene from Mast Landing. We are about to open up uh, the Gunner's Daughter Stout and uh, talk about our last beer for the afternoon or evening, depending on the world where you are. Does that make sense? No, it didn't, but that's okay. We've gone through two of the beers already. Um, Gene, before we get on to the talking about the stout, um, many of our listeners out there uh, are homebrewers and, you know, they always dream about opening their own, their own brewery, uh, David and I included. Can you take us on a little history trip of your homebrewing days um, through to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, myself, I'm not uh, too prolific of a home brewer, just done a bit, but I've worked at three breweries now that were, you know, started by home brewers and grown into larger things. Uh, and so I would say that, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've seen help people be successful is, you know, just committing to what they care about and what they're really kind of like planting their flag in. Um, Mass Landing in particular, you know, a, a similar story was started by home brewers who, um, you know, found a little bit of um, success sharing their beers with friends and family and, um, you know, really decided that uh, they wanted to do something that was based on building a community around their brewery and, and, and really planted their flag in that and grew it from there. And I think that, you know, there's obviously the, um, the recipe development and the, the conceptualization of kind of what you want your beer list to be, what you want to kind of strive for on a production side, but, um, developing kind of the image for your brewery and the idea of what you want to want to do is, is what I've seen be really successful. And of the, you know, three breweries that I've worked at that have had that same kind of model. Um, there's always been kind of a, a thing that they latched onto early on and, and kind of, you know, helped bring them across the threshold of being home brewers to being, you know, uh, a craft brewery that's, that's, you know, uh, presenting themselves to the public and, and creating something for the larger, the larger public. Um, what are the, what are the challenges that, that come with that? Obviously going from uh, them being homebrewers into what is now, you know, a, a multinational uh, brewery. Um, give us a bit of an insight into, into that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a very, good question and, and one that has a lot of different facets. I think that um, there's obviously challenges scaling up, which is something that is very applicable to mass landing. We've grown on a pretty exponential level um, over the past few years. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a little tasting room that has, you know, the, the neighbors coming in for a beer to suddenly, um, you know, packaging your beer and sending it across the world. Um, so that, that's a challenge. I think um, uh, right off the bat, you can expect that as a brewery grows, um, scaling recipes, scaling the logistical elements of it. 
Um, and then at the same time, it's um, there's definitely a good a good challenge in understanding, you know, who you want to be uh, from a from a branding perspective, from a front of house perspective, and and really trying to solidify um, the public perception of the brewery because. I think that's a really important thing, obviously, like, you know, I work in marketing, so I, I think about this a lot, but um, making sure that there's a coherent and cohesive and resonant um, representation of, of what makes your brewery uh, interesting and valuable and, and compelling and that kind of thing. Um, I think a lot of people take that a little bit for granted, but it's definitely a challenge as you grow because for a brewery like ours, you know, um, expanding to different, um, different States, different countries, that kind of thing. It, it couldn't really happen if we didn't have a, a really great sense of who we are as a brewery and who, um, uh, who we are, like, as far as, you know, our, our goals as a production team and our goals as a marketing team and, and, and that kind of thing. So having a, a really good sense of, the, the outward public face that we want to have is, has been a ch challenge for any brewery and a challenge for us, but we've um, been able to kind of master that and it, it helps us be successful as we kind of grow. You pretty much just answered the next question I was going to ask in relation to sort of those opportunities in relation to the, the brewery growing bigger. And um, did you guys ever see it? You know, was this always the game plan to to have your beers available in in places like Australia? Or, or can I ask a little sidebar to that question? I guess Travis, sorry to cut yeah. across you there, but like when you joined the company, is this? Did you sort of imagine yourself being on a podcast in Australia talking about the beers or trying to get the beers into Asia and so forth, or was it a much smaller operation and you just sort of thinking that'd be a nice little place to work? Um, no, I think, I think you're, you're spot on when you say like, um, you know, envisioning where we could be, um, you know, uh, Australia, Asia, like we're really excited to be expanding to those markets and to be reaching people there. Um, but on a less specific level, that's always kind of been the mindset is mass landing is a, um, you know, a, a company that is to, I guess just kind of designed to um, reach as many people as we can. Like we believe in, in community both near and far. And I think that we are really dedicated to creating community um, both at home and wherever we can reach. And so, um, you know, as we've grown to Australia, to, um, to Asia, to um, Amsterdam, like I was referring to before all these places, um, you know, it's really been a chance for us to kind of build our community in different locations. And so um, we see that as a really good opportunity to, you know, um, grow the scope of the company, but to keep the general ethos of, of being a very hands-on and very like um, community oriented brewery. Yeah. There, nice. there, was, there was a question that I'd sort of put in the thing earlier on, but it seems very apt now, which is your blog on the website. Um, is, is a really different sort of take on things. We're going to ask a question in a minute about why less information on the cans, but the blog on the website really does give some of that community. It seems like every time 
a new person joins the team, even at front of house somewhere, you're sort of getting a bit of that story. And that's what we love. We, we're, that's exactly the kind of thing that we're going for. Do you write those? And can you tell us a little bit of the story about the effort that goes into that? Because it's one of those things, it seems like a good idea, but then someone's got to do the work. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, that is, that is, um, that's me that's doing the work. I'm, I'm writing those posts and stuff. And, and I really appreciate what you said about it. Um, uh, it's a, you know, a, a thing that's very important to me and to our company because storytelling behind the beer and behind the company is um, something that is valuable to us, you know, not only in a public relations and marketing standpoint, but I think it's really a, a important chance for us to self-reflect and to kind of understand who we are as a company and to look at those pieces um, of writing and um, of reflection as a, as a chance for us to understand better where we're going and where we've been. Um, so, you know, looking at um, today, I was working on a piece actually um, with a local coffee roaster um, who's been, you know, a partner of ours for a couple of years now who supplies us coffee for beers that we brew uh, we visited their roastery, spoke to their head roaster and the people who founded the company. Um, they're getting, you know, green coffee beans from Rwanda and, um, you know, giving some of their profit back to the farmers there. And and that's a piece that I will eventually turn into a blog post. And, and I think that's just like a, a way to kind of channel all of these things that are going on behind the scenes into um, a little bit more storytelling about the company. And um you know, it's, it's valuable to us because it's a, a good way for people to kind of peer behind the curtain and see what's going on, you know, apart from just the beer we put out. And at the same time, as we produce those, you know, pieces of content, we're also having conversations with ourselves and, and learning a bit more about ourselves. That's a really good reflection, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> Thank you. We, we should, great question. We should move on to... Gunnar's Daughter, which is the last beer we're talking about today. Um, give us a, at a starting point, let's talk about the tasting from the colours to aroma to flavour. It's, I've just, I, I cracked this a little while ago and poured it into my glass and let it sit for a bit. It's, um, it, the aroma on it's absolutely amazing. The taste is amazing. Uh, give us your intake. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I can safely say that this is my favorite beer in the entire world. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who hopefully agree with that. Um, it's a really unique beer. It's, um, a milk stout that has a lot of notes of, uh, peanut butter, hazelnut, um, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's brewed with just natural flavor. There's no nuts involved. Um, it's a 5.5% beer. So it's, it's fairly drinkable. Um, Which when you first suggested it for the first beer of the day, I thought, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting call to have a stout early on, but I guess it's only 5.5%. I mean, it could have fit in there. I think, I think it's better at the end. Um, I don't know. Just I think you're it's, right. <laughs> it's kind of a good end cap. Um, 
this beer has a great story um, in the mass landing timeline. So when the company was just kind of getting its legs going, um, our founders, you know, the home brewers who started the company, they were um, kind of building the first uh, draft list for when the, the tasting room is going to open. And they were like, well, we need a, we need a dark beer. And um, one of the, the partners, um, Mike Capen, who opened the company with uh, Ian Dorsey and Neil Frederick, the other, the other founders, uh, Mike had been out on the West Coast for a bit and took a road trip back to the East Coast um, and picked up a bunch of beers along the way. And one of the beers was a, a peanut butter stout. And they all tasted the beer together and kind of said to themselves, like, it would be really cool to try and make something like this. Um, you know, maybe not with peanut butter or something like that. And so Gunner's daughter was on the first draft list or an early draft list. I'm not sure if it was actually like opening day. Um, just kind of as like a, Hey, maybe we could do something in this vein. And the public feedback was, was incredible. People loved it right off the bat. Um, the people who were making the beer at the time also loved it. And, um, it was not part of the business plan to have this be our, our flagship beer, but Gunner's daughter has been the biggest, um, driver of our success for a long time now, um, based on that early feedback and people loved it right away. And we started making more of it and soon it became clear we could not make enough of it for people, um, so now it's, you know, available anywhere Mass Landing is available and um, has become a really cool entry point for people because, you know, a lot of American breweries that are in our same arena are fairly IPA focused or maybe have a different type of flagship beer. And, and it's a, a unique thing that we can really hang our hat on. Um, so it's, it's got a cool story. It's a, it's a really great beer. And I think that um, we're all really proud of it. How do you think the beer changes when it sits in a glass? I know I, I cracked mine open before we started talking about it and you could almost watch the change uh, in, in the glass. Uh, what, what's your feelings on that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, it's a fun way to experience this beer. I think yeah. that, um, you know, letting it get up to temp is, it's not essential, but I think it's, uh, fairly um important and, and it really has uh, a, a positive outcome yeah, no, no, like you're amongst friends you should say that <laughs> you should be drunk i mean genuinely it, it's... yeah absolutely i mean it, it it just gets so much more expressive um you know the um the more roasty notes the kind of um peanut buttery and hazelnutty notes just really kind of burst off the nose like i'm sitting you know, a couple of feet away from my beer, but I can smell it from here. And that's definitely not something that would happen um, if it were, you know, at, at, at fridge temp. And, you know, we, we actually um, make a nitro version of this beer that I think you know, oh. further elevates that sense. Um, Cause this beer is so, you know, aromatic and it, it's really a, based on that, it's like, it's a full drinking experience where you, yeah. um, you know, you kind of smell it, you, you get the mouthfeel and you, um, you know, get that balance of sweetness and roastiness on the palate. 
So being at room temp, I, I think is really, is really nice for it. Um, and at the same time, like, you know, it's, it's definitely got some nuance in flavor that doesn't always come through when it's, um, you know, maybe a little colder or served at fridge temp. So personally, um, I get a little bit of dark fruit on it and just a, just a tiny bit of like dark chocolate kind of thing that really does a great job of balancing out the nuttiness. And I think that's what makes it a really um, complex beer and something that I really like enjoy drinking um, versus just being, you know, like a, a peanut butter hazelnut bomb kind of, you know, stout. I've got to say that for me, when I first opened it, what I got was the peanut butter. But mm-hmm. now that it's been open for a while, more of the hazelnut is coming through. And that's a much more interesting and complex flavor for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not huge on peanut butter stouts. I'm not anti them. But this has become a much more nuanced beer, as you're describing, as it's sort of warmed. And that hazelnut flavor is a really interesting flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree with you on that, David. I feel like if I let this sit for for the rest of the afternoon, I could literally just slowly go through it and enjoy it. And um, I, I'm glad we all took it out of the fridge uh, before we started this record Absolutely. today, because I think we'd be getting a very, very different different beer if we we had it taken it straight out of the fridge. Um, one of the beers we also have in the pack that's available to the, the listeners out there is the Vanilla Gunner's Daughter. Um, what's the inspiration behind that beer? And is it harder or easier to sell variations of it? I would say that it's, um, it's, it's a little bit easier to sell variations of it. I think that, um, for a beer that is, uh, you know, as, as widely distributed as Gunner's Daughter, like having a little bit of a variation kind of itself generates some intrigue and not only for people who are buying our beer in stores, but also for us, like that's the reason we make a variation like that is because we um, are kind of inspired to see what else we can do with that recipe. So um, it naturally has its own momentum. Um, As far as like the inspiration behind it, I think that vanilla specifically is a tasting note that um, comes through in the original recipe, but isn't exactly on the forefront. Um, so it's, it's a really cool chance for us to kind of elevate something. Um, we do a similar recipe with coffee where we're taking that specific tasting note and something that comes through in the original beer and then just kind of like elevating it a little bit. And that's what I kind of love about Gunner's Daughter is that it has this melange of flavors whether it's vanilla, coffee, uh, dark chocolate, you know, a little touch of coconut, whatever it is. And we can isolate any one of those flavors and kind of make a variation that brings that out. And and vanilla is a a really good representation of that. I'd love to have them sitting side by side, the, the Gunner's Daughter and the vanilla and actually trying them next to each other at the same temperature. Cause I think, It'd be a quite an interesting experiment um, for all those people in the Zoom room. You probably don't get to do that because you've only got one can of each, but um, we should see if we can make that happen, David. 
absolutely great idea, Travis. I love it when people come up with ideas when I can't quite deal with it. But you are absolutely right because having some of these, and I think I'm right in saying, looking at the website, there's five or six Gunner's Daughters variations that are available. And um, you were saying before we got online that, you know, you uh, you heard the interview with our friends from Adroit Theory or in the mm -hmm. US, I know you pronounce it differently, but golly, there was a big interpretation of an imperial beer but there's an imperial gunner's daughter isn't there yep yeah and that's um actually um what was it now about 10 days ago or maybe two weeks we had uh, a kind of gunner's daughter celebration where we had i think 10 or 11 different variations of the beer so you know we had the base beer we had the coffee version the um, coconut version, the imperial version, and then we had some special kegs that we dosed just for that day that were, um, you know, maple French toast version or chili version or, you know, just a whole different assortment of them. Um, and it's it's exactly what you're saying. It's, it's, it's so cool to kind of taste them side by side and see how this one base beer can really have so many different expressions. We've got, I think, two audience questions lined up, but I might have missed some in the chat. And I might have missed your response to this question. Travis may well have asked it because I think it's pretty important. But Gunner's Daughter is a name. Mast Landing is a name. Uh, you know, how, how do these things represent the geographic area that you're in? Because I guess for us in Australia, when we were inter interviewing... Um, Pop Nation a little while ago, we were talking about sort of they were down to almost 50 metre plots around the Melbourne mm -hmm. Bay that we understand and interpreting those spaces. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about what you're trying to do in terms of uh, capturing the space that you're in, in, in a sure. taste. And then we're going to jump over into the audience questions. I've got one from James. I've got one from Shana. Jeff quite rightly points out that he doesn't need his uh, question asked anymore. Maybe two more questions. Then we'll turn the thing off. Uh, and we can all sit around and talk, and Gene can sit around as long as he likes or go to bed if he likes, which is an entirely allowable thing at midnight in the USA. Sure. So um, on, the, on the topic of geographic relevance, um, the area of the U.S. that we're in, obviously, was um, one of the, you know, first colonized areas uh, when people came over from Britain. And actually, the mast landing region of Maine was where um, the king of Britain would, uh, you know, mark trees to use for the masts of ships. So it was called the mast landing region because... Um, they, the trees would get the mark of the, the king's cross that would say, hey, this tree is reserved for the king. That's fair. Um, I would never have had a clue about that. <laughs> Genuinely, absolutely. And so, and, so, and so to this day, the um, neighborhood in, in Maine, um, where the breweries originally founded, is, is called the Mass Landing Region. So there's the Mass Landing School, there's the Mass Landing sanctuary um the wilderness sanctuary so um uh, that's where a lot of the original idea for the brewery came around is like um how can we 
take the historic uh, stories of this region and kind of channel them through this modern lens. Um, so Gunner's Daughter is a, a historical like seafaring term. Dash, which is another beer that we make, is a reference to a boat that was lost at sea. Um, Sakarapa is a, uh, a waterfall near the brewery. And so a lot of our kind of, um, you know, early, early branding was very based on uh, recognizing the history of the region and, and kind of um, channeling that through a, a modern lens. And, and that's like, I think definitely something that we still keep in mind a lot. Um, as we've grown, we've definitely tried to ensure that we are, are telling that story in a, in a meaningful way while also, you know, kind of adapting to not just, um, you know, the history of Maine, but also being a, a part of, you know, the future of it and, and, and making sure that we're, um, you know, kind of, uh, being a voice for the future of the region and, and, and taking into account, you know, what came before us, but also uh, being a part of what comes next. It's a great answer. And we know in our part of the world, in Victoria, Australia, that, you know, in small country towns like, say, Woodend, that Holgate are a great example of a, a business that can keep a whole town afloat or that if local government decides they need to shut the bar at 5 o'clock, uh, 5 p.m. every night, that it can't really happen anymore. So we'll continue to call that one out, even just a little bit surreptitiously like that. Um, my good friend, James, do you want to ask you a question, which is from much earlier on, but it was about emerging hops and emerging styles. And so I guess from an Australian point of view, it's always interesting to hear what's happening overseas and perhaps to feed back a little bit the other way about, you know, what hops are exciting us. Thanks, David. And thanks, Jean. It's been fantastic to have insight into the Mass Landing Brewery. Um, um, my question was really around emerging hop trends. So, you know, in the olden days when we used to be able to travel like two years ago, I'd see that, you know, in the US and the UK, they'd adopt certain hop styles that we hadn't seen yet. And I wondered if, if you had a read on what was coming, what we might experience here in the coming future. Mm. That's a really good question. I think that um, something I've seen in the past couple of years is a lot of um, American breweries kind of looking to the source of the hops and um, especially in um, New Zealand and Australia where the hops are being grown, like kind of trying to uh, hone in on those specific varietals and, um, you know, especially you know, the kind of single hop beers or, or the beers that really isolate a, a one hop or another, um, kind of trying to be a showcase for those. I, I can't say for sure that there are any like specific hops, you know, the way maybe Galaxy was five or six years ago where everyone would be um, gravitating towards a beer with that in it. You know, there's, there's a lot of really cool hops I've tasted recently. I think Laurel is a hop that I've... Um, recently really been enjoying but um i think that more so than any specific hop it's it's really just like um you know getting getting more in touch with the suppliers of the hops that people who are growing it and, and getting a kind of a stronger through line from from growing to the beer and i think that like the 
incredible work of the hop farmers is really allowing that to happen. And, um, you know, I think that whatever is happening here now that might back channel to um, different areas and in, in, in the scope of hoppy beer is like um, definitely just going to be a reflection of, of the growers that are, that are giving us the opportunity to do that kind of thing. It's a, it's a great answer. And, and Chandler, I'm going to unmute you or you can unmute yourself to ask another really good question, I guess, you know, Australia is always interested to know where we stand in the world and interested to hear about what beers you might know from here. But, you know, to Mars Landing, is it, I guess, an emerge now, but for a long time that you've been with them an emerging brewery, you know, Shannon, we'll ask you a question. Who do you benchmark off? Did you? I, I feel like you just asked it, David. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You typed it a long time ago. I just wanted to make sure that it still was relevant in your head. I wrote it down. But, no, I was I was just wondering, and for that very reason David just stated, because we, if you're not in the US a lot, you're, you're pretty unaware of what's really going on. Um, I'm just wondering what sort of breweries, either in the States or internationally, uh, Mars Landing sort of benchmarks themselves against and um, or if there's a brewery that they really look up to and admire. That's a, that's such a good question. And I think that, um, I, I myself maybe personally have a, my own kind of perceptions of breweries that I look up to. And, um, but I think that we are really fortunate to be in a environment here in Maine and here in New England that has a lot of really incredible breweries not only from like a beer quality standpoint, but from a, um, you know, public relations standpoint and from a uh, sustainability standpoint, you know, Allagash Brewing comes to mind. We've taken their lead on a lot of um, initiatives that relate to recycling and, um, you know, sustainability and solar power and that kind of thing. Um, that's totally outside of the world of beer, but it's also definitely an inspiration for us. Um, and then we, we also collaborate with a lot of breweries in our area. Um, you know, a few that come to mind are Proclamation Aleworks in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, um, and also uh, Garrison City Beer Works in New Hampshire. There's like a number of, um, you know, smaller breweries that we have really good relationships with that really inspire us. And I think that that's, um, kind of the perspective that we take is, um, you know, the, the, the smaller scale community building type um, people that we really look up to and, and we kind of have this symbiotic relationship with, um, you know, on a larger scale, there's obviously things that we want to aspire to. Um, and I think that there are a lot of American breweries that are really doing an incredible job of uh, kind of branching out and representing us on a much larger scale. Um, and, and, and that's really cool to kind of aspire to. Um, but where we are right now, I think that we're really focused on our, our interpersonal relationships and, and what we can kind of do on a, um, on a smaller scale that really has an impact locally. Nice. Um, we're, we're going to get to, to wrapping things up here. Um, 
one last question for you, Gene, before we, we throw to you to get your social medias and stuff. We love to get a scoop in the cool room. Is there anything coming up uh, that you're brewing in the near future that we can look out for here in Australia that David might be able to bring into the country mm. for us via Phoenix? Mm. What's what's the big scoop? What do you got on the horizon? Well, Trev, you've got a couple of, before we do that one, we've got a couple of good questions just come through in the Zoom. Oh, we do the too. Most, gee, Mugs, gee, Shannon, you're annoying. I'll say it. But there are some great questions there. So we, we had two spots left. Why don't we answer those ones? And then, Gene, it must be heading towards midnight at your part of the world. You've been very generous with your time. Um, let's go to Mugs first. Why don't you unmute yourself? Hello. Hello. Yeah, hello. Yeah, hi, Gene. Um, uh, I, I know your part of the country gets insanely cold and you've had some just absolutely just ridiculously um you know well i know you guys are in fahrenheit but um like for us it was like minus 20 minus 30 degrees celsius sort of um uh you know fronts coming out how, how does the the brewery sort of respond to that sort of thing because that that is insanely cold mm. We kind of, as uh, New Englanders, are, are, I guess, a little uh, used to it, maybe, and uh, kind of grew up in it for most of us. Um, it changes our production to a degree, um, but not too much. I think that um, we've definitely kind of built Mass Landing to be a resilient company, so we've operated you know, whether it's cold weather, whether it was pandemic or um, any number of things, uh, kind of just been able to be flexible and, and to adapt to whatever, whatever happens. And, um, you know, the past couple of cold winters have been challenging, but, um, you know, our, our team is full of really, really smart people who have adapted to whatever it is. Um, you know, whether it's like mechanical issues or, um, you know, chipping in for each other when you can't drive yourself to work because of the snow, that kind of thing. Like, um, we've really taken kind of like a community approach to it. So, uh, it's <laughs> at this oh, point, I'm, I, I, I suppose the only reason I asked that question, because we just don't get that in Australia at all. Yeah. And yeah. It's, sure. It's like a foreign concept that, you know, we don't get snowed in unless you live in Alpines and areas, it never happens. So, yeah, that's <laughs> it's, funny. It's like, I mean, I've lived my whole life in, uh, in places where you get snowed in. So I think that um, you kind of get used to it in a sense of it's never going to be something you can predict, but it's always something that you can handle. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've, we've managed to, as a company, keep producing beer, keep the tavern open, but, um, you know, dumb. just a lot, just a lot of really, um, resilient people who, who are just, you know, kind of ready to go the extra mile when that happens. Nice. Um, we, we've got one last question before you wrap this all up. Um, our resident beer photographer, 
Shannon is going to unmute himself and ask a question. Um, Shannon, over to you. Um, thanks, Travis. Thanks, Jean. Um, um, the, the COVID pandemic has caused probably, you know, some pretty serious and significant logistic problems worldwide. Um, I'm wondering what kind of impact that might have had on what types of hops and other ingredients that you might choose to use in your, in your beers. And if so, like what, what has that changed your approach to what you might release in the future or styles that you might do? Hmm. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I would say that the number one thing that comes to mind is, is our ability to kind of prospect our uh, market impact was just totally shot out the window. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at um, hops and other ingredients uh, from a purchasing perspective because we can predict what's going to happen in the future. COVID happened and we just did not know at all. And so we were kind of, um, you know, figuring it out as we went, but we had these contracts and these um, kind of like situations that, you know, were pretty far down the line. Um, I think one of the things that we really learned was to be flexible and to be kind of nimble um, and to adapt to uh, what the opportunities were that were presented to us. So, um, you know, we, we definitely had plans for 2020 that uh, didn't come to fruition from a production standpoint. You know, we had, we had different beers we were planning to brew, hop contracts, that kind of thing. Um, the name of the game became flexibility and how we can um, kind of make the best thing happen with um, what's available to us. And I think that honestly, it's a, it's a really important lesson for us to feel like we've mastered at this point and to um, kind of take into the future, whether, whether there is like kind of a restriction on our ingredients or whether we're kind of confined by that thing, I think it's for us to keep that in mind, like, um, you know, kind of always be thinking about how we can make the best thing happen with what's available to us. Um, so, you know, uh, we, we were confined a little bit by, you know, the whole COVID, um, situation, but we, we definitely kind of learned a lot from it and, and did the best we could. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, been a fun time for for a lot of people i think the the covid thing um gene we're gonna start wrapping things up can you throw us out your social medias where can people find you here in australia uh online um if you know them absolutely um so you can find landing on instagram uh twitter and facebook at Mass Landing, M-A-S-T-L-A-N-D-I-N-G. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm at Mass Landing underscore G-E-N-E. Um, plenty of pictures of my cats and uh, beers that I've been drinking. No, so, and, and I'm going to interrupt there because there's some great photos of that. 
So, you, like, <laughs> we've we've got people we've got people who aspire to be home brewers. We've got people who aspire to work in marketing around beers. Gee, your personal page and your Instagram are great examples of how to do that. Shannon, who's here in the room with us today, is one of the best beer photographers in Melbourne, and it's just amazing to see how people can spend time and 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 make some great images. You know, so please check those out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. That's like a, it's a, it's something I spend so much time on, like uh, whether it's the mass landing Instagram or my own personal one, or, um, you know, we have our website, masslandingbrewing.com. Um, so, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get to promote that. And, um, you know, I hope to interact with you all even more through those channels. That's awesome. Um, Gene, I know we're, we're pushing on midnight over your side of the world. Um, feel free to take a break. And if you want to stay up, uh, join us in the Zoom room for a drink. A few other people are going to hang around and have a beer after this. Uh, it's, it's greatly appreciated that you have joined us uh, this evening for you. Uh, it's been really cool talking about these beers. And hopefully we see, see more of your stuff around Australia in the near future. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, really awesome. I love uh, having the opportunity to talk about the beers and to interact with you also. Um, I'm very grateful to be here. That's, that's awesome to hear, man. We, this is, that's what we do. We, we love having uh, breweries on from overseas as well as local and, and getting the names of the breweries out there. So it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Um, Enjoy the rest of your night. Hopefully you'll hang around and have a beer with us, uh, but we completely understand if you need to, to venture off and, and, uh, and have, a, have a bit of a nap and a sleep. So um, thank you for everyone in the Zoom room for joining us again on, a, on what is a Saturday afternoon. Uh, we'll have the episode up pretty soon and uh, everyone can have a listen. Cheers, guys.